Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction company, Ditch Witch, proud to bring you the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined today, as always, by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Bass Edge TV can be seen three times weekly on the Outdoor Channel. It's on World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. So what we got going on today, Aaron? A packed schedule once again, 2007 Bassmaster Classic Champion Boyd Duckett, and then also Mike Webb will be along a little bit later to talk about use of electronics. That sounds excellent. Let's get after it. Get her like that, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge with bass fishing, buddy. Oh, did you just see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Well, Aaron, it looks like we're finally going to get out on the water this week. Man, I, you know, I'm hoping to, uh, hoping it's not too cold, actually. But, uh, no, we're going to be joined by noted outdoor writer John Neparadny there on uh, Table Rock Lake, literally in my backyard. And, uh, you know, you tied some jigs, and I'm anxious to get out and, and try again. They worked so well the last time. I'm going to see if it was uh, location, the jig, or just a little bit of good luck or all the above. Well, I didn't tie jigs till you got me after you. <laughs> the jigs that uh, Dave Wolak had given you. You guys went and tore them up, and so I've been trying to duplicate those by uh, by what you tell me on the phone. So we don't know how close they are. Well, you know, I've got to see them, and personally, I think uh, you start getting close to resembling, you know, the bait fish, and I think it has a lot to do with the rate of fall. I, I think they're right on, and I think they're going to work well. well. We'll know more next week, won't we? Well, I just hope they stay together. It can be embarrassing when you're the tire and your flies start falling apart out there, and I know you're you're pretty rough on that. <laughs> oh, here we go. I guess that's your caveat to make sure. Uh, you know, that if they do fall apart, then it's my fault for being too rough and tackle. Don't start on me, Bregman. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I know you've been out and about visiting with folks and doing some stuff. How was your trip to Indiana? Boy, I tell you what, it was great, other than the fact that it was uh, three degrees, I think, on that Saturday morning when we did the seminar. But, uh, no, had a great opportunity to meet a lot of new people. Did the seminar on on seasonal conditions and patterns. Of course, all the water around there had ice on. There was a lot of people talking about ice fishing, but uh, a lot of great feedback, and uh, it was just very exciting. Especially since we we had taped there on Potoka, kind of a nice going back to that area. And then you'll be in Harrisburg, yeah, Harris, this week. Yeah, right? Harrisburg okay. is next. Right. Just here in a couple of days, be heading out to that. And then uh, I think the week following that, we'll be at uh, Drury University there at Springfield, Missouri. Well, you're just a traveling man, aren't you? <laughs> well, look, we got a letter, and I thought it'd be kind of neat to read that here and, and talk about it a little bit. It's from Zach in Granville, Michigan. Zach points out it's just 45 minutes north of where the great KVD hails from. Zach says, I'm heading down to Florida in the first week of March. I'm hoping to do some fishing in some local ponds, and during my research, I found that it will be pre-spawn and maybe some fish even beginning to spawn in southwestern Florida. My question is, is this information correct? And the second part would be, if you had to choose 10 lures to bring with you, what would you choose and why? And Zach thanks us for our time. Well, Zach, I appreciate you sending that in, and I think it's a, a great question. First, I would throw out there that, you know, Stephen, and feel free to jump in on this, but I would say post-spawn is going to be a little more likely for, right. for that time of year and just given where he's going at in Florida. You know, I would suspect a lot of vegetation. Why don't... Uh, 
I'll take five baits, and um, and you can take five baits. Okay, I get to go first, though. <laughs> okay, I should have known. Uh, it's always you, about you going first, you and you're going to take the go, I know, you're the big fisherman. I only know five baits. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, kidding aside, I think if I'm going fishing anywhere, I'm taking a collection of plastic worms to fish Texas rig. I just think uh, it's just a basic bait that you can fish everywhere. I think, uh, like Aaron said, Zach, you're going to run into a lot of vegetation down there, and... And uh, I think these worms will give you a way to fish down in that vegetation. You know, my spinnerbait is uh, like my American Express card. I don't leave home without it. You got to have a spinnerbait. That lets you, it's very versatile. My whole key to this thing is to be versatile because you don't know where you're going to fish. In that way, just an overall good early bait is a uh, lipless crankbait. So uh, let's try that. And maybe, I'm not from Florida, but I'm guessing some bluegill pattern. What we use a lot is a red in the spring. So get you a, a lipless crankbait like a rattle trap or something like that. And there again, like I said, we think you're going to get some vegetation, so the plastic frog. And if you watch our show this year, we've fished with frogs a couple of times, and they're just that bait that you can fish over that matted vegetation that you're likely to find. And uh, it's not only a great producer, but one of the fun ways to catch fish. And of course, I just go back to one of my fall standbys is the floating jerkbait, like a long A. I like to fish it like a topwater, just give it a little movement. It's something you can fish very, very slow in case you get you a cold front down there and the fish want something moving very slow, I just like to take that jerkbait and just give it a little flicks, make it look like a wounded man on top. But I think it's a good basic way to start, But uh, and that's the simple stuff, but uh, I know Aaron's going to give you some real... Some real goodies. Here. No, I think I, I, I think uh, the, the categories that you covered are, are definitely ones that I would certainly have tied on the end of my rod and reel. And I think you brought up a good point. You know, two things to consider in Florida. Uh, one is cold fronts, and need I say any more uh, when you get into the Florida strain bass anywhere, really. Um, but also then post-spawn being likely, I would definitely make sure that I have uh, something like a soft jerk bait. Uh, I know you brought up the, the hard jerk baits um, with floating. I would also couple that with a soft jerk bait, something like a fluke, um, you know, a wave. Uh, I forget what their brand is, but there's numerous brands that are out there. But bottom line, that's going to allow that to stay higher in the water column for any of those bass that might be suspended during that cold front or post-spawn situation. Another thing that is just a, a really a kind of a takeoff of the soft stick bait, and that's the speed worm. And really all that is, that's a straight worm. Uh, it has some ridges in it uh, just to put off a little bit of vibration, but on the end of it, it has a cut tail, and you can throw that out weightless again, and you just reel it very, very slow above the grass, the suspended grass, uh, over the holes in the pockets. I've had very, very good success on that. Uh, don't forget the Senko. You know, you cannot forget that Senko throwing that wacky rig. If you want that to sink a little bit quicker, take a little bit of solder, wrap that around the hook. That'll give you a little bit faster fall, but a lot of times those bass cannot resist that. And then finally, just the traditional straight tail worm. You either rigged that on a Texas rig or also on a jig head, as well as the swim jig. You know, just throwing out a jig instead of fishing that off the bottom, just throw it out there, reel it and uh, above the grass lines let that as the grass you know gets deeper just allow that to sink a little bit as you're retrieving that back to the boat and get ready to to hang on and have your arm jerked off but the key is when you're fishing in that vegetation braided line can't say enough about that so uh good luck zach hope uh, hope you catch a big one and look forward to hearing uh 
hearing your results. Well, Zach's got some money, boy. We just spent some money at the tackle <laughs> store for him, didn't we? we but, uh, plus, I noticed you snuck in a couple of plastic worms. Oh, yeah. I already, yeah. You'd be on well, you got to see the list of the suggestions that you give me. You know, a drop <laughs> shot and a crappie jig. I mean, come on. you're gonna Well, get the... I knew you, you know, I need you on your own list, but I just <laughs> was giving you sort of some category ideas yeah. anyway. But uh, hopefully that helps, Zach. Uh, Zach, when you get back from Florida, man, give us, drop us a line and let us know how all that went. I wish I was headed to Florida right now. But instead, we're going to head to a break, and we'll be right back with your conversation with Boyd Duncan. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on the edge, and joining us this week is BASS elite angler and also former Bassmaster Classic champion, and that is Mr. Boyd Duckett. Boyd, thanks so much uh, for being part of the edge. Well, thanks, Aaron. It's a really great opportunity to be here anytime I can. You know, Boyd, uh, we had the opportunity to fish uh, Lake Martin there in Alabama. And, uh, you know, as we're going to get into, it, it was quite the day of fishing. But, you know, before we dive off into what we did and why we did it, perhaps you could kind of describe what Lake Martin actually is uh, when anglers visit that and what they can expect. You know, Lake Martin, it's a, it's a midland reservoir, fairly deep, clear water, a lot of spotted bass, fantastic spotted bass fishery. Uh, it's got some decent largemouth up the river. Man-made reservoir, been there since the 20s, not a lot of cover in it other than the uh, the brush piles of man-made stuff around the boat docks. Uh, other than that, you fish topography, so that... That's what Martin's about. You know, in, in the day, I, I think we were there actually uh, in the latter part of November. It was pre-Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, we, we had a lot of preconceived ideas, I guess, of, of what should be taking place, what possibly could happen. Um, but that wasn't really what, what it turned out to be. Well, welcome to bass fishing. As you, <laughs> as you know and everybody that's listening knows, man, the, the bass don't do what you want them to most of the time. You know, we went over there, and, and one of the reasons that we picked Lake Martin, you know, Lake Martin is a fantastic fall fishery, really good topwater action, a lot of schooling fish, bait run near the surface, you know, the, the spots moving back in the creeks, and it's just a fun place to be. Of course, we get there, we've got a record cold front that blows in, you know, I mean, I don't know how many times you have to say that, but, you know, cold front, man, it was cold. It's been in the 70s, water temperature dropping like crazy, bluebird skies, lots of wind, just uh, just terrible fishing conditions. But we ended up making some adjustments. Martin's a great fishery, and we were able to, uh, you know, we were able to catch them pretty good, actually, and got a few big ones. Well, no no question. And, and let's spend just a moment on that as, as far as making some adjustments. You know, how many times have you seen it to where, whether it be recreationally or in a tournament situation, you go there, and if you are locked into what you think should be happening or trying to force the fish into what you think they should be doing, you know, it can backfire on you. It can. You know, I think most of us, uh, and, and it's a good way to fish. We, we do the same thing, touring pros. We try to get a starting point of what they're supposed to be doing. So that's the natural reaction. The only thing you have to remember is if they're not doing it, 
Maybe you got to scramble. You got to find something else, and you know that's how we make a living: is making adjustments, changing plans. And Martin was was a great example, probably one of the best examples I've had in a long time. The fish would not do what they should be doing the middle of November. So, uh, you know, we, we tried to catch them schooling. There was little or no bait in the backs of the pockets. What little bit was there when we first got there left uh, never got better, and uh, we just ended up scrambling and getting on a pretty good boat dock pattern. It seemed like those spots that were in the backs of those creeks, as opposed to leaving with the bait, I think they just moved to the closest cover, which were the brush piles and the boat docks there on the on the banks and. And uh, when we figured that out, now they were a little bit tentative, got a lot of strange bites, couldn't really catch them on a jig, couldn't catch them on moving baits, crankbait and a spinnerbait, we threw that some. But we were able to take a light eighth ounce shaky head and uh, and a hand pour finesse worm and fishing it really slow, shaking it in one place. Uh, as you'll see on the show, we were able to make those spots bite and turned it into really a great trip. Well, and, and you know, one of the things talking about a typical or, or, or what the, the bass should be doing. You know, a lot of the reservoirs across the nation, especially a lot of the Corps of Engineers reservoirs, that's a, a time of year to where they typically will start their, their winter drawdown. And, of course, that was pretty evident uh, of Lake Martin. It was in the process, you know, where they were doing uh, basically that drawdown. How did that uh, help or hurt or what can anglers expect you know, when that is taking place? Well, the drawdown changes lakes, obviously, and it happens every fall. When they start drawing hard, a lot of times it will pull the bait and, as a result, the fish out of the backs of the creeks. I think that may have contributed to our problem along with this this, uh, tremendous cold front that that we had. You know, the reason why they weren't doing what they were supposed to do, I don't know that I have an answer for that any more than I do, you know, when they're supposed to be on the beds at, at Santee and I get there and all the beds are empty, you know. <laughs> it's just, but but recognizing that it's not happening, not wasting too much of your day, starting to make adjustments. And you make, you make sensible adjustments. You know, the first thing we did, we went out deeper and actually caught a few fish the first day where they had been in the backs of the creek school and pulled out to 15, 18, maybe even 20 feet. Best I can remember, you you hooked and lost a, a really good spot out there in about 20 feet of water. But going into our second day, you know, even that ended. The bait the right. bait left, and so we started scrambling. We fished some, uh, some deep water, uh, fished a few points, and then uh, keyed on some of those boat docks. What I like to do when I'm searching, I'll go into a creek arm, and I'll fish all facets of the creek. You know, I'll fish the best ledge in there, you know, the best deep water place. I'll fish all the way up against the bank. I'll fish in between. I'll fish the, the lay down trees if there are. And then I may do the same thing again, even though I'm catching fish on boat docks. I'll continue to mix it up because I want to solidify that that is a pattern and not just a good boat dock or two that I found. Right. And uh, what you and I found as we continued to try those different techniques, we found that the real outstanding pattern, glaring pattern, uh, was to throw that light shaky head up around those boat docks, had a little brush, it was even better, and then we continued to do that. Man, we, we started catching them then. You know, and, and, and we like to talk about uh, how tough the conditions were um, just because of the cold. I mean, that, that one morning, you know, when we left uh, the hotel, uh, there was a, a pretty heavy uh, coat of frost, obviously. It was down, I think, you know, the final day, it was actually down into the 20s that morning, which, you know, you throw that Alabama humidity in there, and that's bone-chilling cold. <laughs> but bottom line is the water temperature was still uh, in the low 60s, you know, and, and that pattern 
basically evolved and developed. And fortunately, like you said, we were able to make some adjustments. But that was after we started on and checking out some of those schooling fish, some of that top water activity that we thought would be present. But it wasn't like all docks were created equal either. No, and that's normally the case also. We did learn that uh, that the boat docks that they were keying on, they liked the flat boat docks as opposed to the deep boat docks, which in all honesty, that's kind of opposite from what I expected. With this cold front, I usually will key on deeper boat docks, and right. we did a lot of those. But they wanted to have a flat boat dock, uh, needed deep water close by, and it seemed like in the very back of the creek, not, not back to the super shallow water, but the last deep, you know, had, had five or six foot of water around them. That seemed to be the docks they really wanted to get on. And you know what was fun, and, you know, I'll never forget this. When we found a boat dock that had a school under them, man, it had a school yeah, under them. No question. I mean, yeah, we sure caught them. I, I, from memory, you know, we caught the eight or nine or ten or something under one boat dock. Yeah, and that, that to me, that I, I learned so much about um, not only about just dock fishing, but also about fish behavior. Like we did a lot of times, we would fish the perimeter because a lot of those docks had some man-made brush, you know, in front of them. So we would fish our way in. But uh, it's it's like when we started, you know, getting a few bites around that one particular dock, and, and we did catch some groups. You know, we caught normally if you got a bite, you would get more than one bite. You would, and and that's uh, that's how it was. It, it is fall, and you mentioned. I remember we're on the water. These spotted bass like to go in wolf packs. It helps them feed. They can corral shad and bait better that way. Uh, they don't live as alone as they do during the. Uh, the post spawn and all through the summer and and they'll pack up and boy did we find that like you say we'd fish two or three you know with no bites at all and we'd finally get a bite and there'd be several you know three four fish under one boat dock and nine or ten under one of them well and, and there was a couple things that i want to make sure that we that we pay a little bit of attention to and and i would like to get your discussion on it uh one was the particular bait it was the hand poured bait uh the the second thing was making that adjustment from the quarter ounce uh, shaky head to basically that that eighth ounce. I believe that 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 had a lot to do with why we were able to basically expand on that dock pattern. Yes, normally when we started out, we were keen on those deeper docks, which in the cold front I felt like was the right thing to do. Didn't didn't turn out to be the case. You know, I had a quarter ounce. Uh, head on it. I was throwing the, the hand pour. It's a Berkeley hand pour, triple colored hand pour worm. Just fantastic worm. I like to throw those multicolored worms. It really gives the fish a different look than just a solid worm they've seen so much of. But uh, you're right. When we moved to the eighth ounce, even though it was windy, it was hard to fish. It was hard to manage. But that super light presentation and then uh, just shaking that worm. I like to take that worm, throw it beside a dock pylon or skip it up underneath that dock and do my best to shake it on a limp line. If, if you ever get a chance to watch that in a swimming pool, try to make that shaky head move without really moving forward towards you. And it just sits there and quivers in a spot that's not real active. He just can't stand it. He's going to have to come over and eat it. Well, and, and I thought was so brilliant about the explanation when you did that. Obviously, it was effective, too, because you proved that on the show. But, you know, let's say if, if you have the docks that worked out best for us was kind of a combination to where they had the pilings. And then they also maybe had a little bit of a floating platform. And you would pick the high percentage target area. Maybe it was the, the corner of the dock because of the shade and the ambush point. Or maybe it was the swim ladder hanging down or, or the particular pylon that was coming down to hold that in place. But bottom line, you would cast that uh, shaky head up there, 
have it fall to where you wanted it. And then you would really try not to move it, but by shaking it on that limp line, it really gave it the action to entice the fish to come from, you know, possibly a longer distance. Yeah, and if you notice too, Aaron, we got very few casts when we cast it in there. You'd see me cast it in there, and I'm right beside the target, which is no doubt where the fish was. Right. But you, I'd have to shake it for 10, 15, maybe even 20 seconds before that fish would swim off with it, and then all at once he'd finally get it. And and I believe when that's happening, you know, in contrast, oftentimes boat dock fishing with a light shaky head, when you skip it up under a dock, when you go to move it, he's already got it and he's swimming with it. That's probably a more common bite to cast it in, and when you go to lift up, the fish is swimming with it. That's probably the number one shaky head bite. But we didn't have any that I recall no. like that. It was really, you really had to work to make them bite it, but that goes to prove you that it's such an effective bait, fish that way, throw it in there, leave it in that one place and shake it, and you'd make that spot come over and irritate him enough where he'd eat it. Well, and I think that's a great point because uh, if you look at, again, looking at the conditions, and, and I want to point out, I mean, by no means are we crying, so to speak, because of the day that we had, because we had a phenomenal trip there. But had we not done and, and adapted like you speak of, and by shaking that, because remember when we started out, the, A, we, we were trying to obviously get bites, but then the bites that we were actually receiving, they were kind of a weird, non-committal situation. We were having a hard time catching them. We were. It, it, you're right. It started that way, and that heavier head maybe, uh, I know when I was throwing the quarter, it seemed like they'd pick it up by the tail, and they'd swim with it. And, and when that line's moving off to the left or moving off to the right, you have to believe he's got it. We'd set the hook and either get a half a worm or, you know, or no worm at all or just the lead head back. So that eighth ounce head really helped a lot. And also slowing down when we ran into that situation. You know, one of the things I, I tell people about a spotted bass are a lot different than a largemouth. And a spotted bass traditionally won't drop a bait. Unless you put pressure on him, he won't drop a bait. So if I'm having a hard time like that where they're grabbing the tail of it, especially with a shaky head, I'll continue to shake it. It feels alive in his mouth, right? Yeah. Well, and you proved that by—I uh, think it was one of the one of those periods of time to where we weren't getting, you know, the response. We weren't able to set the hook, and basically they were had the tail. But the one you actually we saw on camera, you know, your line swimming off, and he had it for probably nine or ten seconds. He did, and I continued to shake it, and uh, and and eventually he feels like it's alive, and he'll go on and take the rest of the bait into his mouth, which is what you want. You have to do something when they're when you're coming up short every time you swing. You've got to make adjustments. But don't be afraid with a spotted bass to let them have the bait because a spotted bass will do that a lot. Yeah, and, and one of the other things I think that, that was critical is if, if you look at some of the areas, those docks that we were targeting, they were holding, you know, you hear the term sweet spot. Maybe it's on a point or on a dock. Um, but it's kind of like that you have them pinpointed that they're on docks, obviously, which we did. But then you were able to kind of, uh, I guess, refine that a little bit more. And, you know, I don't know if you agree with this, but that skipping technique was pretty critical for a lot of the bites that we were able to get. Well, it was. On the floating boat docks, when you have, uh, you know, r realize the water's dropping, a lot of the poles, the floating portion of the boat dock is usually out in front of the poled boat dock. Well, the poles oftentimes were too shallow, but uh, those those floats normally have a gap between them, and it takes some time and some practice, and you make a lot of bad casts. But just don't be afraid to continue to work on that. That eighth ounce shaky head will skip pretty good, but it, when you can skip it underneath that heavily shaded area, you're putting it right there where those fish are, and if they're not aggressive enough to come out to the edge to eat it, normally they'll eat it when you get up under there. So, yeah, skipping up under those floating boat docks, that's a technique 
that uh, you need to take the time and and go through the you know the tangled line and the and the mess yeah. face. <laughs> you know it's not an easy technique, but but take some time to learn that because when you make that cast, it, you get rewarded what at least half the time. No question. Yeah, at least half the time you're going to get a bite, and that's pretty impressive. Well, Boyd, and I, I wish we had more time, but one thing I definitely will take away from you know our time that we got to spend on Lake Martin was you know just from a psychological standpoint the conditions of a cold front you know those are traditionally times to where they just get locked jaw and to have the the satisfaction of being able to make the adjustments like dr j mcnamara talks so much about here all the time on the mental aspects of that and to walk away with what we did plus again the highlight i can't say enough just learning that that big of a school lives under docks to where we caught those nine fish when we went away Man, it was a fantastic time. It was. It was a great time. A lot of, lot of fun Lake Martin spots. Well, uh, Boyd, unfortunately, we are out of time, but we will talk to you in, again in the near future. Thanks so much for being part of the Edge, and uh, again, continued success on, uh, on tour. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. Hi, I'm Chris Ball, and stick around for some more tips and techniques on Bass Edge, the Edge. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made, not to mention the best plow, dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. Man, that brings back some fond memories, doesn't it, Aaron? You know, Martin was the last show we shot for the season, and it was kind of a, not only was it a great trip, it was just kind of that time of year where you, you kind of reflect back on the whole season, and, and it was a great season we had, but a great trip we had to Martin. Yeah, you know, it, it was cold, and I can remember, you know, Boyd and I prior to actually launching the boat, as we do for every show on Bass Edge, or even just, you know, going out fishing for the day, uh, you you kind of have these preconceived notions of, of what you think will work, what's going to be going on, where you want to target, uh, kind of that pre-planning phase, if I guess, if you will. But, you know, I can tell you one thing. We sure didn't start out uh, thinking about fishing docks. What amazed me was how shallow we caught these fish because Martin had been drawn down for the winter, and an awful lot of the docks and piers are out of the water, and the ones that are still down in the water are very shallow. And we caught some fish numbers of fish in some incredibly shallow water for some cold weather. We sure did. And where we started at, you know, was really going, trying to go after and targeting some of those, I guess, uh, back in the backs of the creeks, you know, the schooling fish, both on the surface and also underneath. And I think, um, you know, that pattern just really fell apart. Um, so we had to regroup. And of course, then if, you know, they're, if they're not out deep, if they're not in that schooling activity, docks, I don't care what time of year, or where you go across the country, they always come into play. And like you had mentioned, the, the drawdown was there. So we just really went after the docks that were really isolated. The ones that, believe it or not, actually had water under them because that was a big thing. A lot of those docks didn't even you know, have much water under them at all. Yeah. Um, so it really concentrated the, the bass right underneath the docks that had enough water. And, man, were they concentrated. I know we caught nine on one dock. <laughs> is that the most we caught on the dock? It was it was incredible. Every one of those docks had, had four or five fish on it. And we stuck around that one dock for almost an hour. Then it became a situation, more or less, of, man, how many can we actually catch out from under this dock? Because I certainly hadn't encountered, you know, that type of situation before. And, and the dock was, what, the size of a pickup truck? If that big. I mean, it was just... So just an isolated spot. I just tried to picture 
all of those fish sitting down there. It was it was incredible. But uh, well, you know, one of the things too that I remember was when Boyd went into his why he moves the shaky head the way he does. You know, he'll throw that out there, allow that bait to to fall vertically against the piece of uh, cover uh, that he's talking about. But he shakes that on a, on a slack line. And really what he's trying to do is get the bass to come over to it by that movement. And instead of actually bringing it back towards the boat, he leaves that set next to that piece of structure and shakes it on a, on a slack line. Oh, that shaky head was the deal. And I'll tell you, there were some of those docks we were fishing in some very quiet water. Like Boyd said, that shaky head is a nice bait to lay in and give a really subtle presentation around those quiet docks. The shaky head was the bait of the day, that's for sure. Boy, that's no question there. Well, look, we got a uh, listener question. Very appropriate. Kind of the year of the frogs here on Bass Edge. We have a question from Jerry. On the last Saturday show, frog baits were being used at Lake Sam Raver. Could you tell me the name of them and where I might be able to buy some of them? Absolutely, Jerry. The particular frogs that we were, if you remember, we used two different types. And when we were in that schooling activity, uh, we actually showed both of those. The more aggressive style of frog that actually had the paddles on the end of the the legs, uh, that was more or less just called a ribbit. That's the brand. uh, It's actually made by Stanley Lures. Uh, The other frog that was a little less aggressive had uh, really just some curly tails on the end of it. That was a Zoom Horny Toad. And uh, by using both of those baits, we started out with the more aggressive. Uh, they kind of went off of that, so then picked up the, the more subtle presentation with creating a little bit less disturbance on top. Was able to fire those fish back up. As far as where you can purchase those, uh, essentially go to really any major tackle store or some of the local ones there. They're pretty readily available. Otherwise, uh, you can certainly go to uh, some of the online stores that are out there as well. Well, you know, we kid about this being the year of the frog because we did end up fishing three, maybe even four of our shows this year. But if you look back and the folks that buy our seasonal DVD will look back and they will see that, yeah, we were frog fishing, but there's a lot of difference in what we were doing. And I think that uh, this frog craze, it's popular for a reason. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, that's because they can catch fish that other baits can't. You can get them in the, on the, the thicker vegetation, the matted stuff. You know, you go to more of that hollow body style that we used out there on the Delta. Then when you have more sparse vegetation, you know, more of the grasses, things like that, that's not necessarily matted on top. You can go to more of that swimming style frog. And, you know, it's a great open water bait as well to be used just like a buzz bait. Yeah, well, Jerry, good luck with those frogs, my friend. And you keep us posted. Let us know how your frog fishing is going. Well, let's take a minute here to knock out a quick break and get to your your visit with Mike Webb. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Hi, I'm Pam Martin Wells, and you're on the edge. All right, we are back on the edge, and joining us this week is Bass Edge Pro Staffer, and that is Mr. Mike Webb on the topic of purchasing electronics. Mike, thanks so much for being part of the edge. Glad to be back here. Hey, uh, you know, on the show you covered, I think, one of the most questioned topics that we receive here on Bass Edge, and that has to do with electronics. And uh, perhaps you can kind of bring us up to speed on what to look for when you're getting into electronics, because obviously they play a vital role for any angler. Well, the biggest questions we get is how am I going to be able to see the structure better and all that, and the key to that is 
electronics are uh, like a lot of things that the more money you spend, the more you're going to get in this particular item. But they don't have to spend 500 to to $1,000 to get these things. They can spend, you know, $300, $400 and get what they need with the power they need, the pixel count they need for the clarity of the, the resolution, and be able to see that structure where those fish are hiding and watch their bait go down to the brush pile and watch the fish come in out of the brush pile after it. Well, and, you know, obviously we're not talking about any one particular brand here, Mike. No, There's a lot of good ones, a lot of good ones that are out there. But, you know, for the for the general angler who does, let's say, shallow fishing, but also uh, maybe currently does some deep fishing or wants to try their hand at deep fishing, when you talk about power and, and you know, the resolution, can you give us some guidelines that, that you're talking about specifically there? Well, it's funny you ask that. Until 2009, it was pretty easy to do that. And, and I'll give you an example of that. In the seminars I did, I would always say you need 2,500 watts or more to be able to see your bait at a good depth on your graph. And, and it wasn't the watts I was trying to get people to in on. It was if you bought a unit that had 2,500 watts, by spending that money on that amount of watts, you were going to get everything else in that unit that was able to do that for it. But now, in 2009, a lot of the electronics, like the new Lawrence products and stuff that are coming out, the watts are not as important anymore because the way that they've reconfigured their units, so a 2,500-watt unit you're probably not even going to find in 2009 in a Lawrence product. The high-end ones are 1,500 watts with the broadband sounders and that. So you really can't base it in 2009 products on the watts. But prior to that, if you had a unit that was 2,500 watts, you were going to have what it took within that unit to see your bait, see the structure, and see what was in it at a pretty deep range, like 40, 50, 60 foot deep. You know, and, and speaking of that, because when, you, when you're, you're talking about shallow fishing, you know, that power or that uh, proper use of that energy in the wattage in this case is, is less important because normally in that application, you know, you're trying to see what the water temperature is, maybe using it for a GPS application to find your waypoints, um, you know, looking at the sides or the, the, uh, the tops of the humps and things like that. But when we get into more of the deep fishing, that is really where it comes into play. And hence, that's kind of the reason of why you helped us introduce the Electronics 101 DVD. Right. The DVD that we've got uh, coming out, I think, when is that, Aaron, next week? or No, two? actually, it's, it's, it's already been delivered, fortunately. Oh, great, great. Well, I haven't got mine yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you're going to have it in the mail today, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the DVD, what it did is it answered a lot of the key questions that I get, like uh, the upper and lower limits, your gain or your sensitivity, the problems you have within that, and, you know, why am I having problems with my graph and you know it's just kind of it kind of walks you through maybe some problems you're having and also it keys on what you need to know that you're seeing on that graph a lot of people don't know how to read a graph you read it from the right and you know whatever passes from the right is just a photo of what's already happened just things like that in there and you're going to be able to see with this dvd real-time moving objects uh, you'll see a fish get caught and set the hook by sight, not feel. You'll see the fish come up and eat the bait. And uh, you're going to learn things like turn your fish ID off, why am I not seeing fish arches, things like that are in this DVD. Well, and, and here's the way that I break it down, Mike. You know, when I look back at uh, kind of my introduction to deep fishing, you know, it, it was like you purchased a graph, you got a 300-page manual, and it's almost like, okay, here you go. Well, the intimidation factor, you know, when you speak of upper and lower limits, ping speed, sensitivity, all those things... That, that was so overwhelming for me as a beginning angler, and it's fortunate that I had mentors in my life like yourself and many other anglers who had already done that homework. And that's really what I see kind of this, this deep fishing DVD, and when you get into the electronics, once you know those things and understand it, it removes all of that intimidation out of it. 
Yeah, and you can focus on catching fish. Right. And it, it doesn't take weeks and weeks and weeks to learn that. You know, it's just, just getting over that first hurdle of being afraid to push these buttons. A lot of people are afraid to push those buttons on that graph. And this is going to walk you through a few steps, and, and you're going to be a lot more comfortable um, at the end of this DVD of using your electronics. And the key is you're going to know what you're seeing because a lot of people are out there on the lake fishing for trees and boat dock cables thinking they're fish, and this is going to help you eliminate that, and you'll spend more time where the fish are. Well, and it goes into just, you know, things like you brought up about turning that fish ID off so that you're not getting that rebound off of a tree or anything else that happens to be there, and you've got these fish that are stacked up on top of one another. You know, things like that and just the ability to actually transfer that information. You know, heck, put it in a portable DVD player, take it right out to your boat, and it's designed to where you can essentially just set right there, program in the electronics, and you're good to go. Right. Just replay it until you, uh, you know, get comfortable with it. But it's not going to take much. It's really not. Once you see this DVD, you're going to say, gosh, I'd have just known that. It was that simple. You're not building, a, you know, a rocket ship here. It's sure. pretty simple stuff. Well, I know, uh, and certainly that's produced, you know, tremendous results for you. I think 15-plus uh, years, you know, you're a guide. That's how you make your living. And uh, uh, what would you say, probably more than 75% of the time, you're, you're sitting out in the depths uh, using your electronics. Oh, yeah, with the exception of the spawn, which is, a you know, a two-, or three-, or four-week area. I'm in deep water all the time. And where I guide on Table Rock, the average depth is 73 foot on that lake, and it's well over 200 so my time is spent in deep water, and so I was forced into learning these things, and, and we're trained by people that make these electronics, and man, am I ever so glad to do that, because now I find fish that I never would have found before, and these people, by watching this DVD, they're going to be able to find those fish that they might, mainly when they go across that point, they're just going to idle across it and not see anything, and then they're going to go on. This is going to teach them, hey, wait, maybe there is something there, and it'll show you how to find those fish. Well, another benefit you know, that, that I've noticed is that, you know, the deeper fish are less pressured. I mean, it's it's a lot easier to go out there on these type of situations and be away from the crowd, whether it be a tournament situation or recreational. They are pressured less, and they're less affected by weather change, too. You know, I, and, and it's funny you said that because Steve Brigman and I just a couple of weeks ago were talking about on a recent trip that I went out on and, uh, you know, tried the, the jerkbait, crankbait situation, you know, beating the banks, the weather front, it came through. Well, matter of fact, it was right after a day, I think, that you you guys had fished a tournament on Table Rock. You know, that bite went away, so I had to go out, set deep, and, uh, man, put a ton of fish in the boat. Yeah, I think you guys said you had 40 or 50 bass <laughs> yeah. in 50 or 70 foot of water. It was nuts. It was nuts. Well, Mike, you, you wouldn't have found those had you not learned how to use your electronics. It, it, bingo. And, and that's the key, you know, and then taking that knowledge that you can learn from the electronics, putting that into play with the gulls and the loons and, and just understanding, you know, where to look. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a recipe for success and one that we are very thankful uh, that you kind of pioneered and helped uh, Bass Edge debut. Unfortunately, Mike, we are out of time. Uh, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Well, this is just 101 electronics. There's going to be more to come that's going to be more advanced in this and more advanced in the deep fishing area. I think we've talked about doing other uh, uh, DVDs in that area as well, right? That is absolutely correct, Mike. There will be more to come and looking forward to it. Well, and, and if they have any questions, they can get on our website at BassEdge.com and go to the Ask the Pros section, and uh, those will be forwarded to me, and I'll be more than happy to answer any questions they have. Well, Mike, uh, so appreciate your time and appreciate your energies uh, put forth on this project, helping us uh, become better anglers. Take care. Best of luck in the future. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Aaron.
Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. Steve, who do we have up next week? Well, we've got another Western angler, Jamie Cyphers from out Las Vegas. And we have a visit from our old friend, the Pond Boss himself, Mr. Bob Lusk. Well, I'm I'm positive that that'll be another good show because I can remember uh, fishing with Jamie out there on Clear Lake as well as any time that Bob... Uh, really gets on here he always has something good to say well we need to get out of here join us uh, for this show on the outdoor channel where bass edge is seen three times weekly at 8 a.m thursdays 9 a.m on fridays and saturday afternoon at 2 30 p.m eastern time for the latest bass edge information merchandise and the opportunity to win prizes and ask the pros questions log on to BassEdge.com. For Steve Brigman, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Air Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.